And here is your host, Dr. Tony B. Okay, it's hour number two. We're back for another big uh, 60 minutes, and we're going to raise the temperature a little bit by, yeah, cranking it up. That's what we're going to do. Um, we're glad you decided to join us. This is Tony Beam, and I told you about all that stuff I do in the first hour, so we'll we'll skip all that part. I will take this minute to tell you that his radio talk, 919-897, is going through a format change. Gary Miller is going to be retiring on March 31st, and when he does, this will become a music format. Uh, these frequencies will have music on them, which will be something that you'll enjoy, um, I'm sure. Uh, but you may want to continue to have some talk radio in your life, and I'm going to do my best to try to provide that. And the way we're doing it is I'm setting up in my house, uh, expanding the website associated with this show, which it's under construction right now. You you won't be able to access it. It's down because they're working on it so that the show can be up there um, and you can listen to it. Um, by, by just streaming it off of the website. You can also, you'll still be able to follow us on Facebook Live, and you'll be able to follow the uh, YouTube. We're going to have a YouTube channel where this is also going to be broadcast. I got this cool camera that came to the house, and it's it's really kind of creepy because it, it's kind of like the eyes and the portrait and the Andy Griffith show when they go to the Rimshaw house, you know. Some of you will remember that. The eyes move, follow you around the room. Well, this camera, you know, I'll just set it there. And if I move from one place to the other, it starts to pan. It stays on me uh, so that it, and it adjusts the focus so that it's always focused. Um, the board that I've got has got all kind of cool sound effects. And uh, I can change my voice. I can sound like somebody else. I mean, there's all kind of stuff that we're going to be able to do. So, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to cut back from 7 to 9 to 7.30 to 8.30. So we'll have a 60-minute show so that that can become the podcast without a whole lot of editing that I'm not going to have the time to do. Um, Gary, you wouldn't believe, Gary Gary does a lot of work on this show. I mean, after we get finished, he edits it down so it can be a podcast, which is already available anywhere you can find a podcast. If you'll search for me, you'll find me. So... Um, in, in any in any event, um, that we're we're going to continue on with a radio show style format in some regard. There won't be any commercials, um, but I'll be doing it from seven thirty to eight thirty, and you'll be able to continue to listen. Then you can download the podcast, and the website's going to be a conservative clearinghouse. That's a, I was talking to. Um, Blacktop Media yesterday about it. They're they're going to set it up so that Corey, Hannah, and um, even you know Austin can have material there, and then we'll we'll eventually integrate others into it so that it'll be something that you I think you'll really enjoy. It'll be something that'll help you follow the news. I think the new name um, is going to be Truth and Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. Because that kind of tells people what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the truth in those two areas, the culture and the political system. And I, I, so that, if you're looking for a podcast, people will, you know, they'll put in politics or they'll put in culture or they'll put in something like, but rarely, rarely, sometimes they'll put in worldview, but then when they listen, what they're hearing is culture and politics. So I think... Um, that's that's how we're going to do it. So I, I appreciate the, I mean, 21 years, uh, most of those years working with this guy over here that's retiring. Um, some of those years were with others that were operating the board, but primarily it's been me and Gary for that period of time. 
All right. Uh, I'm talking about Hannah Nicole Jones and the 1619 Project and why this miniseries on Hulu and the magazine that they put out is even more inaccurate historically than the school curriculum. Uh, it's, it's just, it, it's really pretty amazing how wrong it is about just the, the, the way things unfolded in the American Revolution. Um, it, it, for example, measures to abolish, now, now remember, 1619, right? American Revolution happened because the founding fathers were racist and slaveholders, and they were concerned that Great Britain was going to abolish the slave trade, so they had to break away. That's the story, pretty much in a, nuts, a nutshell. Measures to abolish the slave trade were one, one approval in Massachusetts, Delaware, New York, and Virginia. Um, I think we, we talked about that in the last hour. But and more and, and broadly, historians, when you talk to people that are actual historians, not, pol- not people with a political axe to grind or an agenda to push, you, you find out that the historians of the period of the Revolutionary War are all but unanimous that the anti-slavery move, movement organized itself and enacted laws earlier in America than in Britain. In subsequent versions of the 1619 Project, including the book, Hannah Nicole Jones has advanced two theories not mentioned in the original magazine piece. One was that the colonists were alarmed by the 1772 Somerset judicial decision, which held that slaves brought from the colonies into Britain would be free because slavery was disfavored at common law and Parliament had passed no positive slavery law. Now, that decision didn't affect slavery in the British colonies. It produced nothing remotely resembling the colonial reaction to the Stamp Act the tea tax, or other cause of riots, protest, and bloodshed. At the time, Benjamin Franklin derided Somerset as empty virtue signaling. How about that? Virtue signaling. Empty virtue signaling, merely the setting free of a single Negro while doing nothing against the brutal transatlantic slave trade. That, And that's absolutely true. Great Britain was not anywhere near. It would be 1833 before England did away with the slave trade. They were nowhere near doing that in, at the time of the American Revolution. And so this, this proclamation, this, this Somerset judicial decision, only affected the lives of slaves that entered into British territory that were brought there uh, from other countries. You could still—they weren't freeing slaves in Britain during this time. The slave trade wasn't outlawed. In the, miniser- in the miniseries, Hannah Jones no longer pursues any of those angles but focuses more narrowly on a November 1775 Dunmore proclamation by the royal governor of Virginia, Lord Dunmore. He offered to free any adult male slaves of patriot masters if the slaves served in the British Army. Hannah Jones and Holton frame this as an early version of the Emancipation Proclamation. They don't mention that it was Dunmore who refused to sign a ban on the slave trade in Virginia, which is why it had to wait for Jefferson to do so after the British were defeated. So the chronology here is backwards. Dunmore 
was already locked in conflict with the Virginia legislature in 1774, Patrick Henry gave his Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech in March 1775 to persuade an assemblage of Virginia's leading men to raise a militia. And then George Washington took the other step. George Washington became the, the general of the American Revolution. Now, the miniseries avoids discussing, discussing Washington or Patrick Henry or any of these events. Phil Magnus has dismantled the revised for TV version, noting, among other things, that Dunmore himself was a slave owner and an unrepentant one as he showed as royal governor of Bermuda after the revolution. Magnus also deals uh, details how Hannah Jones and Holton used the visual format to mislead viewers. Sitting in front of the governor's mansion in Williamsburg, they falsely characterized Dunmore as issuing the proclamation from the mansion, which he had actually already been chased out of and out of the capital months earlier and no longer governed Virginia in any practical sense. They just ignore all this. The guy was persona non grata in Virginia as he did this when he did this pronouncement. There are a lot more problems with framing the Dunmore Proclamation as a critical factor in bringing Virginia into the revolution. Because, for one thing, its troops were already fighting and in which its most prominent soldier was already commanding the army. The proclamation was quite modest. It exempted the slaves of loyalists. So in other words, if you were loyal to the British crown, oh, you can keep your slaves. This is just this offer is only for people who are loyal to the new colonies. If they switch sides, then they can they can keep their slaves. At, or and, and if their slaves go fight in the revolution in the Revolutionary War on the side of the British, then they can gain their freedom. So David North and Eric London explained in, in a, in a 20, 2019 critique of this erroneous history where there's evidence that thousands of slaves escaped to join the British forces in the hope of securing freedom. The British treated these runaways with such extreme brutality that the runaways soon ran away from Britain. Loyalist forces returned slaves whose owners switched their support to the crown, subjecting slaves to brutal punishment as captured fugitives. The British armed a small minority of the runaways, but the vast majority were made to perform dangerous and brutal labor with virtually no pay and little food. There is evidence that many were ultimately sold off into the West Indian slave trade. Of the 800 who escaped... To Dunmore's forces, most died of disease by 1776 due to lack of food, clothing, and shelter. This is the truth. This is the right timeline. The people that Hannah Nicole Jones portray as heroes in the cause of freeing the slaves were some of the most brutal people in history and how those people were treated when they were, quote, freed to go back into British bondage from America. We're talking today about um, the 1619 Project, Hannah Nicole Jones, who brought this whole thing to the forefront to try to smear America, to smear the United States as being founded in racism. Because here's the thing. You've got to erase this idea of the greatness of America if you're going to bring America down. There's a scene in Gladiator that sort of reminds me of this. 
Um, it's a it's a place where you have Russell Crowe as the gladiator. He's talking to a fellow gladiator, and they're they're actually they're sitting around a table, and Russell Crowe has gained some real respect from the crowd uh, in the arena because he's winning all these gladiatorial combats. And he's doing it with panache, and he's, he's kind of becoming a symbol of opposition to the emperor. And so there's three of them sitting at the table, and they bring some food out, some kind of like stew in, in these little bowls. And Russell Crowe is sitting there looking at it thinking, is this poison? Are they would, would the emperor try to poison me? And one of the guys that's sitting next to him reaches over with his spoon and puts a big bite of Russell Crowe's food in his mouth, and he starts to act like he's choking. And then he starts laughing, you know, and it gets, you know, Russell Crowe kind of laughing. But then the the gladiator right across from Russell Crowe looks at him and says, you have a great name. They have to kill your name before they kill you. Now, I want you to think about that for a second, because that's you, oh, you talk about these movie lines like they're they have some kind of depth of. Listen, you have a great name. They have to kill your name before they can kill you. The United States of America has a great name. And Hannah Nicole Jones and the others that are helping her produce this this Tommy rot are trying to kill the name of America because you have to undermine America's history. You have to undermine America's great name before you kill America, before you can get enough people to join your cause, to believe that America is evil, to believe this this uh, boulder dash that um, somehow America is systematically racist. We want to go back and, and reimpose, we want to impose, rather, on the American Revolution, a racist motivation, killing the name of America so that then we can propagate this myth into the present and get more people to sign on and undermine the greatness of, of America. So, you know, here's let me, let me just continue on here. Um, we're talking about some of the flaws in this false history of the United States. This is coming from National Review today. Consider the case of James Armistead, a Virginia slave who served as a spy for Marquis de Lafayette, playing a crucial role in the Yorktown campaign. Now, if you want to know more about Armistead, you can go to Wall Builders, and David Barton has got some incredible, some incredible history of Armistead and and the store in his story, which is. We may take some time and go through that one day because it's fascinating. But Armistead faced some resistance to freeing him after the war because he had not served in the regular army, but he was granted his freedom by Congress in 1787 after an appeal by Lafayette testified to his service. And he actually adopted Lafayette's surname in gratitude. So the practice of freeing slaves in exchange for military service has a long history in warfare, often as a tool for weakening one's adversaries. Consider, however, how the use of the emancipation in the Civil War differed from Dunmore's approach. You know, this is, Hannah Nicole Jones makes a big deal out of the fact that Dunmore's proclamation preceded by, uh, what, about a hundred years or so, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, and she calls it the first Emancipation Proclamation in America. But Lincoln's 
issued on January 1st, 1863, it was limited to slaves in Confederate territory, but it differed in that it freed all slaves, not those who would serve in the Union Army, but all slaves. And indeed, it was originally drafted nearly a year before the Union began enlisting black soldiers. Hannah Jones suggests in the miniseries that black soldiers won the war for the Union, which is an exaggeration given that they didn't even begin fighting until after Gettysburg and Vicksburg. Listen, those are the two battles, one on the same day on July 4th. Can you believe? July 4th, Vicksburg fell. Gettysburg was a disaster for the South in 1860. That would have been 1863. And so the, the war was pretty much decided before black soldiers were brought into the Union. The Confederacy, near the very end of the war, also offered freedom to slaves who would enlist with their master's permission, but only when the Confederate cause was already visibly hopeless and the United States Congress had already passed the 13th Amendment. So that was a brief period of time because you've got— the, the 13th Amendment was passed in um, January of 1864, and then you had, because, no, and maybe it was 65. I may be getting my years off a little bit, but there was a short space between the time that the Emancipation Proclamation was enacted, the 13th Amendment, not the, but the 13th Amendment was enacted by Congress, and the end of the war, just a few months. The litany of partisan grievances includes complaining about voting laws in states such as Georgia. So, in other words, it, during this supposedly 1619 Project discussion about the Revolutionary War, they throw in left-wing talking points and progressive ideas as if those things were actually around during the time of the Revolution. So, you know, here's... The, the, this is what we need to know, and I would urge you to go to National Review and read Dan McLaughlin's piece because I've, I've read you sections of it, and we've talked about it, but it's, it's a long piece, and it really sort of takes apart the 1619 Project in detail. And why is this important? Because you, you, you're going to encounter this stuff at work, it's, whether it's taught in schools in South Carolina or not, and I have no idea, but it, it, it's still, I guarantee you, it's in the university system that some of those ideas have come through in the public university system. And you're going to hear this from people. It's being talked about in the culture. You need to have the truth. If we're going to win the war for the culture, if we're going to establish common sense. I'm going I'm I'm really planting the flag here. If we're going to know the difference between normal and crazy, we're going to have to understand the facts about the culture, the facts about our history, and we've got to be willing to engage with the truth. And Reggie's on the phone. Hello Reggie. Hey, good morning, uh, Tony. Um going to say uh South Carolina made uh, the wall builders show this morning. They were talking about how the struggle with us, you know, with the Supreme Court striking down the our abortion, you know, uh, bill, and so then how and laid out pretty good how why it should be that uh, to keep the judges from being political, they need to be elected. And so I've, I've tried to uh, when you were first talking about that at the first of the show, I tried to call in and I just couldn't. So, but anyway, I just 
uh, I, I listened to the whole thing to make sure that they didn't reference you, but <laughs> I'm going to send them a nasty letter so, since they, so they, uh, because they didn't. They're going to get a, a stern email from me. I just want you well, to Well, David Barton's a good friend, so so be gentle. He, um, you know... <laughs> Yeah, but 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 here here's the thing, um, Reggie. Uh, I I appreciate the fact that they're dealing with this uh, because we do we need judicial reform in South Carolina, and we need it badly. the The problem is it it would take a constitutional amendment, which means you would have to get a two thirds vote in the Senate, two thirds vote in the House. And then it would have to be ratified in a vote that goes before the people. We're working on that right now with something called the Blaine Amendment. Um, it's the the uh, Blaine Amendment is a horrible piece of legislation that was designed to deny Roman Catholics and African Americans a, a decent education by not allowing state money to be used for religious education, uh, because a, a, a lot of the the schools that were first to incorporate um, African Americans in South Carolina were private universities, private schools. So, in any event, uh, now the pri- a lot of private schools sprung up because when the public schools integrated, I get that. But we're talking back in the eighteen late eighteen hundreds or early eighteen hundreds when the Blaine Amendment was passed, and it was it was definitely a an anti-Catholic, um, anti-black amendment that we need to get out of the constitution and it's going to take it's the same thing it's constitutional so it's got to be two-thirds two-thirds and then the people have to vote so it's difficult for us to move to a a direct election of supreme court justices like they have in wisconsin um, i don't think the political will is there to get it through the legislative process with that heavy a burden Right. Right. Well, I for one am going going to sorely miss your show, and not only your, the but the format of the radio station. I don't know where I'm going to go. I guess I'll just have to start uh, doubling up on podcasts. No, 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 no. You you're gonna. I tell you what you're what you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able to listen to me from seven thirty to eight thirty live, and then because all you got to do is go to the website that we're establishing. And it'll be streaming live. You can listen to it on your smartphone. You can listen to it on your computer. Um, and then you can download the podcast later if you don't get to hear the whole show. So you're going to have options. And I'm going to do it every morning, Monday through Friday, just like we're doing it now. It's just going to be a little different format, 7.30 to 8.30 instead of 7 to 9. Well, great. You just made my day. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm going, I guess I better say that again because <laughs> – I know Reggie listens all the time, and you know he he didn't realize uh, obviously that, uh, that that that's what we're going to do. So yes, uh, for those of you who are going, what what's he talking about missing the show? What his radio talk ninety one nine eighty nine seven on the current format is is going away now ninety one nine eighty nine seven is not going anywhere. There's just going to be music here starting April first. So. If you turn tune in on April 1st, it's not an April Fool's joke that you're hearing music. The format changed, and Gary's retiring, um, and um, I'm going to be doing the show from I've, – I've got all this equipment that I've got to start working on uh, to figure out how to get set up in the house to be able to podcast with quality, upload easily um, to different places where podcasts are received – and uh, where you can get the show, 
and then also just be able to to do it live streaming on the website and on YouTube and on Facebook Live like we're doing now. And um, so don't, don't think that the show is going to – it's not going away. I'm, I made the decision when I found out this was going to happen. I just decided, well, I'm not ready to fold the tent. So there's got to be an alternative, and there's a lot of alternatives out there. So um, – I'm not telling you not to listen because there'll be some great music over here, but you can still listen to me 7.30 to 8.30 on a website. I'll tell you the website. It's down now. It wouldn't do you any good to even go see where to find it because they're they're rebuilding it so it'll do a lot more cool stuff that I need for it to do if that's going to be where the show gets housed. So um, you'll hear more about that when we get into March. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing. Okay. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really pushing. I, I'm like, okay, we got to have this website up and ready to go. We've got to have the YouTube channel established. I got to know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm actually going to be doing some dry runs like podcast, um, and then listening back to them. Um, I'm going to keep a lot of the same music. Gary's sent me, uh, my intro music. And, uh, so, and in the pot, it's going to be a little bit different because we're not going to have this long intro, you know, that it'll just be some music in the background with me starting because we don't have time to mess around. We got an hour. Um, so anyway, just keep that keep that in your mind because I want you to keep following the show. If you've enjoyed it, it's still going to be around. It's just going to be in a little bit different format. Oh, all right. The number of Chinese nationals at the southern border. Have you heard? Have you heard about this? There, it, it it's outpacing the past two years combined. All of a sudden, you know, China's in the news, right? I mean, you've got the Chinese buying up farmland in America. You've got the Chinese flying surveillance balloons over the country. You've got who knows what with these things that's been shot down that we don't even know what they were, or you know, a, a lot of people have suggested that what happened after the embarrassment of the Chinese balloon just floating all the way across the country and they didn't shoot it down till it got over South Carolina, um, you know, they, they, that the Biden administration was so embarrassed, they changed the settings, obviously. And, and the military has acknowledged this, that the, the sensitivity of our radar and foreign object detecting devices has been adjusted so that we're, we're picking up everything. I mean, we're not just picking up stuff that could be a threat. We're, we're picking up everything, and we're just shooting stuff down. And it's been suggested that the reason we're shooting everything down that we find is because we, the Biden administration doesn't want to take a chance on being embarrassed again. We don't even know what these things are. I don't know that we'll ever know because they're kind of setting the stage for that. If you've been following what they're saying about these objects they're talking about well we haven't recovered any of the anything yet they were small and they were hit by a missile and we might not be able to recover let me translate that for you they're not going to tell us likely what these things really were and i they're not ufos i do not believe if if uh you, you know just think about it if if they're ufos they had to travel what billions of miles to get here because we can tell i mean we can look and see that within our solar system there's there's not life on any of the planets they, they couldn't sustain life so we're talking about long time we're talking about light travel here to get here you think if they could do that that we could just shoot them down with a missile i mean come on 
um, it, it's these are some kind of craft. Uh, they might be things that you know people have have made, or uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are uh, experimenting with drone technology. And I'm not just talking about the government; I'm talking about corporations, companies. You know, Amazon was fooling around with the idea that they would start delivering packages with drones. Just fly it right up to your house and set it down. You know, don't don't have to have a person doing that. Um, so, in in any event, I I don't know what these things we we don't know what they are, but we know that <laughs> yeah that it's it was an embarrassment for the Biden administration. So my point is that China, but everybody's talking about is it Chinese made? Was it Chinese made? Now the government says no, nah, these three objects were not Chinese made. How do they know if they don't even know what it was? That would be a big question, right? But we do know that at the same time all this is happening. The number of Chinese nationals arriving at America's southern border is exploding by the numbers. Uh, in January 2022, U.S. Customs and Border Protection says it encountered 89 illegal aliens from the People's Republic of China on the southern border. That number grew to o over tenfold last month. So this is a year later, January, one year later, there were 1,084 encounters with Chinese nationals. A similar increase has occurred in encounters with illegal immigrants from Russia, with Customs and Border Protection reporting 1,030 in January 22, but over four times that many last month, 4,509 people from Russia. Now, the, the people from Russia, are, are they trying to get in the United States because Vladimir Putin is a, uh, a madman who's got the whole world pretty much lined up against Russia and it's getting hard to get things in Russia because of the sanctions and the things that have been put on Russia. See, I guarantee you the leadership in Russia are not suffering, but the people, uh, they are suffering because of the war with Ukraine. So that's, that's likely the motivation from Russia. But what, what is this? What, what about the, the Chinese uh, immigrants? The likely reason, let me just read this to you from the Daily Signal from the Heritage Foundation. The likely reason for the border surge of Chinese and Russian migrants, uh, Andrew Arthur said, who is, he's a resident fellow of law and policy for the Center of Immigration Studies at the Heritage Foundation. He said that the word's gone out around the world that the southwest border is open. And so this is an opportunity for people to get in. Since fiscal year 2023 began October 1st, Customs and Border Protection says it has encountered 2,999 Chinese nationals on the southern border, outpacing the combined total of 2,626 for 21 and 22 combined. Arthur, who previously worked as an immigration judge, said he saw Chinese nationals in his courtroom who commonly paid upward of sixty to seventy thousand dollars to have the opportunity to make it to the southwest border. And see, this kind of thing is going to continue until we get control of the border. It's not just, you know, it's not just people coming from South America. They're coming from everywhere because people everywhere want to be in the United States. Um, we're going to do kind of a lightning round here toward the end of the show. 
Uh, Raquel Welch passed away yesterday, and she was 82 years old, and her family just released a statement um, basically saying that she, uh, after a brief illness, she passed away at 82. Uh, she burst onto the scene in the 1960s with, uh, what was it, a million BC, billion BC, 10 million BC, something, I don't know. It was a caveman picture. You know, she called it a dinosaur picture. And she told her agent she absolutely was not going to be in a dinosaur movie. And her agent told her, you absolutely will take this movie. And she said, well, I don't even know. What do you wear in a dinosaur movie? He said, don't worry about it. They'll figure it out. And they figured it out all right. Uh, she became just a, a poster that I, who knows how many uh, they sold. It was She was everywhere. Uh, she ended up making about 30 movies, uh, was in 50 different TV shows, um, had a pretty um, pretty amazing career, and she won a Golden Globe for one of the uh, movies that she did. Three uh, Musketeers. That's what it was, that. Three Musketeers. And, um, and then, you know, she said that was the proudest moment of her career, obviously being recognized for some of her work. Mm -hmm. But uh, just wanted to let you know that, that she passed away yesterday. All right. Uh, Nikki Haley is running for president. We knew that that was coming. We knew that was going to happen. But it's now official. Obviously, she was governor of South Carolina when um, Donald Trump decided to, when he was elected, decided to make her ambassador to the United Nations. And that's widely believed that that was a, a nod to Henry McMaster, who at the time was lieutenant governor and was elevated to governor when Nikki Haley was sent to the United Nations. Um, she's the first Republican. Now, th this is some. This is interesting. She's the first one to get in the race other than Donald Trump. And, of course, Trump's going to start coming after her because uh, it's, you know, he's going to attack anybody that would dare run against him. And probably what he's going to use against her is the fact that she said at one point that she would not run against Donald Trump if Trump run for the, ran for the presidency. again, And uh, she's running against Donald Trump. Not only is she running, she's one of the first ones to get in after Trump announced. Um, she's, of course, female, and she's a minority. Um, and so people are, are making much of that. In fact, The View mocked it because, which they, they would mock anything, that, that those people are, are so messed up. They're just... But they, they talked about the fact that when she would she uses her name Nikki, which is her middle name, why doesn't she use her first name if she's proud of her Indian heritage? Well, I mean, that's ridiculous. She uses her middle name because it not because it's a denial of her heritage, but because it Nikki Haley. I mean, it's much easier for people to remember. I mean, she was when when she filled out different applications over time she is being you know derided because she put down her race as caucasian but but here's the thing there was nothing on the form you know we're, we're talking about at a time when you were you know there was you know black asian african well black asian or hispanic non-caucasian or I, I can't remember all the categories, but there was nothing there for her to indicate that she was of Indian origin. So she selected Caucasian because that was the closest thing that was available to her. I mean, it's ridiculous to 
criticize her for something that she couldn't have done. But, of course, that's what The View does. Um, yesterday, she said she started her political career as a state representative from Lexington. And she said, I've been underestimated before. That's always fun. And I've been shaking up the status quo my entire life. As I set out on this new journey, I will simply say, may the best woman win. So, you know, we're, we're talking, there's a long list out there of people that are likely to get in the race along with Nikki Haley. I think Nikki Haley did a good job as governor. She made a lot of people mad when she addressed the Confederate flag. Um, a lot of her, her base, people who supported her, got very upset with her after the, the shooting that was so racist that she felt like that was a move that she had to make. Uh, the Confederate flag was placed in a museum in South Carolina, and that pretty much you know put all that to an end. It happened the way that it happened and the time it happened, it did not cost her politically as much as it would have if she'd have just brought that up out of any kind of context and just said, okay, we need to do this. That's kind of what David Beasley did. And so uh, I don't think that's going to be a big issue for her in South Carolina now. There'll be people that won't vote for her because of that, but I don't think that's a large number. Um, what I think is going to hurt her from South Carolina is that Tim Scott's probably going to be in this thing uh, pretty soon. And Tim Scott's royalty in South Carolina. I mean, you can't – you have conversations with people across the state. You can't find anybody that doesn't like Tim Scott or think that he's a person of integrity or think that he would make a great president. But what you hear, what I hear people say to me is, man, Tim Scott would be great, but he's running for vice president. He's getting in this for vice And then they'll say things like, wouldn't DeSantis and Tim Scott, wouldn't that make a great uh, combination – for for president the thing is most of most people when they get the nomination they look for a candidate that can bring votes from a different region of the country or a different now tim scott would be a great choice uh because of, of his popularity nationally and, and you know he's he's running for he's going to run he hasn't announced yet but he will run for president he does i don't believe he's running for vice president but um, usually you would pick like if let's just say DeSantis gets the nomination and he he's going to want to pick somebody from another region of the country to help bring that region to the table with electoral votes. So it, it may not automatically be Tim Scott. Now, at, at the same time, you know, and South Carolina, by the way, is going to go Republican. So it's, it's not like putting Tim Scott on the ballot is going to make that happen. It's going to happen anyway. So there, there may be, you know, that may not be the obvious matching that, that some people think it is for political reasons, but at the same time, uh, Tim Scott's going to be a formidable candidate, and it's going to be interesting when the primary comes to South Carolina and you've got a son and daughter of South Carolina running <laughs> on the same ballot. Um, so that's, we'll talk more about Nikki Haley and her candidacy later. Uh, Josh Hawley has introduced a bill banning kids younger from 16 using social media. Now, this is interesting. He's making the case that the, the bad effects, that this information that was just released about adolescents and how sad they are and how lack, the lack of purpose that they have, he's saying 
that social media has a lot to do with that, which it does. And so he introduced a bill on Tuesday known as the Making Age Verification Technology Uniform, Robust, and Effective. It's called the Mature Act. Sometimes they have to really strain to come up. They want to... They want an acronym. They want something they can use. And so the the name of the bill gets a little forced. But it's the Mature Act, and it states, beginning on the date that is six months after the date of enactment of this act, the operator of a social media platform shall not allow an individual to create an account on the platform unless the individual is 16 or older, as verified by the platform using an age verification process. Um, that have to provide their full legal name, date of birth, government-issued identification before being able to create an account. Now, I, you know, I got to think about this because, in in theory, I support it because of the damage that social media is doing to people in this age category. I mean, sometimes irreparable. And so I, I can see that. There are plenty of things that we tell people 16 and under they can't do yet because they're not mature enough to make the kind of decisions, and, and, and it has really bad effects on their life if we allow them to partake of things in our culture that adults do because they're not ready for it. And so I can, I can see that argument. I'm... I don't like the government telling us, you know, making these regulations. Um, that that that's a that kind of causes a little pause for me. But when I start thinking about how else are you going to do this, should be a parental decision. It should be that we've got people who are mature enough that are that have authority over these young people to make those decisions, not the government. But at the same time, if they're not then these, the children are being hurt, sometimes irreparably. Uh, okay, there's a piece today at National Review you might want to read. Andrew McCarthy put it out there. The subpoena of Trump's lawyer confirms classified docs probe is now an obstruction probe. And, and here's, here's McCarthy's logic, and it's sound. Uh, the Justice Department, there's no way they're going to be able to prosecute Trump for having these classified documents because they found all these classified documents in Biden's possession. And st- or still, yesterday, they conducted another search looking for Biden classified documents. So the, 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 Justice, the Justice Department can't use that. But what they can do is accuse Trump in the process of obstruction of justice. It becomes a process crime. And so now they've, the fact that they've subpoenaed Trump's lawyer— and the attorney-client privilege can be waived because they're going to suggest that the lawyer was part of the obstruction. So this is what they're going to go after Trump with this time, at least from the Justice Department. All right, that's all the time we've got for today. Plenty of stories to talk about tomorrow. We may take some of these that we ended up the show with and expand on them a little bit tomorrow. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you in the morning at 7 o'clock.